Yeah, it should be. A, it's a true social service to mankind, taking care of the marginalized, true underserved population. And entities taken together will make a big cause rather than in cherry picking in isolation. I think it doesn't make a case for a big program intervention and priority. When you deal with visualist menaces, it's only in four states and in some of those eastern districts. So it doesn't make a big case. So taking all together, integrated entities all together will make a big case and it's a great value for mankind. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Last Mile Podcast. In this episode, we will be learning about rapid ethnography to get a better understanding of how this kind of research methodology can help us control and eliminate neglected tropical diseases. To help us navigate this topic, we have brought on two special guests, Dr. Biswal and Dr. Rutre. Dr. Biswal is a technical advisor of PATH India's Neglected Tropical Diseases and Malaria program. He oversees projects under this program as well as other infectious diseases portfolios and is based in New Delhi. Dr. Rutre is a medical doctor with an MD in Social and Preventative Medicine. At present, he is the Director of Infectious Diseases at PATH. The following conversation will be facilitated by Dr. Alison Krentel who is an assistant professor in the School of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Ottawa and a scientist at the Briere Research Institute. Enjoy. Good evening in India. It's good morning here in Ottawa. Great to see you, Dr. Biswal, Dr. Rutre. After seeing you in person in Jude, which was wonderful in Delhi, it's great to be able to meet you on this platform and talk about some of the interesting work that you have been doing in using a, a new te technique of rapid ethnography. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today and hearing more about this technique and also the impact that it's had on the mass drug administration in India. So maybe before we get started, one of the things that we, we like to do is to get to know our guests a little bit better. So if you could, each of you, just tell me a little bit how you got interested and started working in the field of neglected tropical diseases. Listeners would like to hear a little bit more of your before we dive into the research. So maybe, Dr. Biswal, we can start with you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Alison. Very interesting question. I was born in a rural coastal village in the Odisha state of India, where this LF and other vector one diseases were very endemic. I grown up in that village, say, up to the age of 15, before shifting to for my higher education to other town. So during that early age, it is a true story, a true feeling. When I was about 9-10 years old in class 4 or 5 standard, I saw the people of my village suffering from elephantiasis and I have seen their suffering. People, there are poor people, many people suffering from fever because there is no facilities for diagnosis and treatment because there is no health facility around about 15 kilometer radius. So at that time, I thought, God bless me so that I should be a doctor when I 
so that I can treat them and their suffering. When I was a child of 9 to 10 years. Fortunately, God's blessing, I became a doctor. Posted in a public sector, first in a primary health center, where my responsibility was to provide both preventive, promotive, and curative care. I've seen the cases of lymphedema there. I have seen the cases of hydrocele there. At that time, there was no national program, so I came to know about the details of the elimination or eradication program. So that's how I am involved with the NTDs. Thank you. So a, a lifelong commitment, really, uh, that you're describing from a young age. Do Dr. Ruchai, what about you? How did you get started in the field of neglected tropical diseases? Well, thank you, uh, Alison. It's a great opportunity to talk to you. So I have an interesting story similar to Dr. Viswal. My grandmother was lymphatic filariatic, so she, she had a elephantiasis. So as a child, I've seen her in that way and how she used to fall sick and all that. But having said that, I came into NTDs a bit later. I'm basically a medical doctor with a you know, public health specialist for around 25 years. So before coming to PATH in this position as director of neglected tropical diseases, I was actually eradicating polio from India. So I was with WHO. We made the country polio free. And then I moved on to become the measles focal person for country office. So I worked a lot on measles elimination. So with, uh, you know, measles and polio experience, the eliminations activities and endeavors that we put in, I, this was an opportunity to come and work in neglected tropical diseases, especially the visceral lysmaniasis and lymphatic filariasis is also slated for elimination. I thought of putting my skills and experiences and learnings from polio and measles programs to use those experience and expertise to eliminate some other neglected tropical diseases. Oh, that's exciting. And I think there's there's an increasing need for us to learn from other campaigns. I know the great success that India has had, particularly around polio. And so there's a lot to learn from that. So thanks for thanks for sharing those stories. So we're here today to talk about a unique methodology that you both used called rapid ethnography. And this is not something that we've heard a lot about in terms of to understand how communities view mass drug administration and understand why they do participate. So I'm, I'm actually excited to learn from both of you because I'm not as I'm not very familiar really with the, the nuts and bolts of rapid ethnography. So hopefully in our conversation today, we can cover some of those. One of you could start by kind of defining in simple terms what rapid ethnography is. Ethnography is basically factoring in human sociology, behavior, anthropology, and it's basically a qualitative research tool where you go and talk to the participant study population in their own environment through natural interactions uh, to get a real human-centric response and interactions. That's what we understand. and. Rapid means to make it faster. Maybe we need to go and live in that community to get the true responses. 
but there was limitations of the study of a time front, so we had to do it weekly. So it was a three-week activity in those selected villages, and we used some of those uh, basic methods to go and talk to them through specially trained ethnographers, I can say. It's important what you just highlighted that that the rapid in this was done in a in a fairly uh, tight time scale. I wonder, Dr. Biswal, if you can describe some of the steps that you use for conducting this kind of research. Actually, for this um, uh, rapid ethnography part of the research, we engage a team of ethnographers, about six ethnographers. Those who are having the background of uh, social science or they have completed their master of science. Then uh, we arranged a training for them, trained them on role play and guidance how to use the different methods. This was a part of the training curriculum. Then how to build a report in the community. And also the training part included a details of the uh, MDA program. We tell them about and its transmission, MDA campaign, and how to deal with various stakeholders, which is the goal of the study. So this there these ethnographers, there were six. So they were making for three teams, two members each, and were given one block in each district because we selected the three blocks from each district. So the ethnographist conducted first in Banaras, and then after it is completed, we went to Chitrapur. So this duration of the ethnography was three weeks. On every week, we gave them different subjects on which subject they are going to collect the information. Then, then after the training, they went to the blocks, three blocks, two teams, three teams to the three blocks, and they undertake the ethnographic as for the procedures which were taught to them. In the manner, the different thematic area which they are supposed to collect the information. In the week one, local understanding about the elephant MDA, they will collect this information. In the week two, they will collect the information about the compliance and coverages. And in the week three, they will collect the information about the education, social mobilization and community engagement. These are the three thematic areas. So can I just ask a clarification question? Yes, do please. Your, do your ethnographers sort of stand on the street corner and stop people who are walking by? I would say it's a mixed approach. We went to the households also, but most of those transit walks and all those mini interviews were actually on the street corners, actually on the street side. And it was a mixed method as different approaches were used. So going to a shopkeeper, sitting there, taking tea with them and having to know who are those, do you, have you seen a patient? Then chatting for long, it's basically a stretched natural interactions 
for over the whole day. So uh, it was a mixed approach. We went to the houses also sometimes to do these case interviews. But for the most of the many of the part, it was also on the street corners and on cross circuits and the tea stalls and all those uh, bus stops and other village places where we used to have this gathering. And do you capture the data like when you're sitting in a tea stall and you're having a conversation about the last mass drug administration and asking questions about did people get the drugs and did they take them? Do you, do you capture those notes in a notebook or do you, how do you, how do you record what, what happens in the conversation? It's mostly through notebooks, uh, writing notes and also some recordings through mobile recordings also with their due permission. So both, as I said, it's a mixed approach, whatever suited in whatever places, it was actually a natural flow and stretched conversation. And mostly note-taking, which was, you know, they used to come back in the evening and sit together, going through the notes and the recordings to, you know, get the interpretations. That was our daily routine ritual every evening. Yeah, which I can imagine was very rich and probably helped to drive what you did the following day. Yes. Two. I know our listeners will be asking is they'll say, well, what was the sample size? <laughs> and I know in qualitative research, you know, we often look until we reach saturation. And so sometimes we don't always start with a defined sample size. But how did you, uh, was there a target that your ethnographers were trying to reach each day? Or how did you determine just how many people you wanted to talk to over that three-week period? So this was around, you know, in a village, we used to have around 200 people by a team all, all for the three weeks period, you know. It's like some villages which were identified based on previous information as to suboptimal, having less poor coverage or reporting of AFIs and adverse drug reactions. We chose certain villages and they were, we didn't have a fixed target to make it natural, but they could, mm -hmm. they could cover around 200 persons. They could interact with 200 persons in a village. To supplement what Dr. Rautra has said, there were uh, for uh, each village around 250 to 300 people who were questioned, interviewed, either through friendship work or through team thermons interview or case interview. So I think the, the total sample size was around, around more than 1,700. That's impressive for qualitative research. We don't, we don't normally see those kinds of numbers. That's, that's really uh, impressive. So I wonder if you could tell us uh, what some of the main highlights were of your findings in these areas. It was like 60% of all people interviewed through ethnography didn't receive the drug and 30% did. So that kind of an... And of those who receive, you know, in Chitraput, which is a more rural area, 96 to 97 percent actually consume. So the problem we identified was the reach of people. Were, probably we couldn't reach them. We couldn't 
the first startling discovery was the program was not reaching everybody. And if you reach mm. them, they usually consume, especially in a rural area, in a low socioeconomic strata, in a far-flung remote area. When you reach, the work gets done. That's one of those basic uh, findings that we came through ethnography that we actually worked on and improved in the next round. And with the reach enhanced, we could see a result in terms of better consumption and coverage. Yes, Dr. Vishwal. Through this ethnography, we collected many informations, which is very vital for successful implementation of the program. Then we find out the reason for not consumption. That's very interesting. Both in Chitrakut and uh, yeah, the reason for the non-consumption work we found, the community perception was they could not understand the precautionary nature of the drugs. There is a lack of awareness towards MDA. Lack of trust on ASA because ASA practices class-based discrimination. They are having lack of knowledge about around the transmission of the LA. And they are some of them that are aversive towards allopathic drug and fear of idea. This was the community perceptions of non-compliance. But the drug administrator perception was they were overlooked, overworked and underpaid. They said that is a very short notice for the FDA. So they were not able to get sufficient time for preparation. How did you use the results to, to influence the next uh, round of MDA's area? All these data that we collected were analyzed, both ethnography as well as quantitative studies that we did in parallel. And we combined all those informations like, you know, the demand side was lacking, awareness was lacking, reach was lacking. So, like, for example, if people, you know, are not being reached, we identified such areas and went into the micro planning to see that villages are all at least listed in the micro plan and there is a inclusions of all you know, hard to reach areas and all villages. And we compared it with the polio microplans, which is supposed to be a gold standard. And we incorporated a lot of missed areas, a lot of villages, including some migratory floating population also into the existing microplan. That's one of those, you know, areas that we intervened in developing better microplanning. And the other one is, was, was training. Actually, we wanted to train the health workers in a better way. So we developed a training module for this purpose in local language and we developed a structured agenda, a training handbook for the facilitators and we also monitored those trainings and it was a structured flip book that we developed as part of the outcome and which was used by the state and as Dr. Biswal had mentioned, it's not only on those intervention districts, it's all across all the districts, the state accepted the feedback so positively they, and we printed we printed that uh, for them and also to develop a better accountability framework using the district administration platform so that we we had these evening meetings rigorously done again on lessons learned from the polio program and also did a multi-department multi sort of engagement periodically throughout the course of actions through the DM platforms so 
that that also helped in better review and mid-course corrections. If an area has missed, how do we cover it up? The directors, it is so good that now we'll use this training module across the country for training of the drug addiction because both the national program was continuing for so many years. That was not a standardized training module. The findings of this study helps us to develop the training module and you do it. Now it is going to be used by India. I mean, that's, it's very exciting. And I think as a researcher, you always hope that your findings are taken up and, and scaled up beyond areas where you're actually doing the intervention. So that's extremely encouraging. I wondered, one of the challenges that we see, and it's not unique to India, it's all over the world, we see these as an urban mass drug administration and people live differently. The, demographics are different. And I'm just wondering, how did you find this approach and the recommendations? Was it different for the urban areas than it was for the rural areas? I'd love to hear a bit kind of the differences that you experienced either in the data you collected or in the, in the recommendations that you made to the program. As you rightly point out, urban challenges are different because of the nature of the demographics and the socioeconomic strata. It's actually the urban elites who are also a bit hesitant because they, they don't want to consume drugs when they are healthy. That's one of those common things. And, uh, you know, mistrust on the program in terms of are these right drugs, is it required or not? So urban challenges was taken up. I, I won't say it's all solved or we have completely cracked it yet, but it's a work in progress and it still continues. And we actually, one of those lessons that we worked on was the reach. So we had actually some both approach in schools in urban areas to give that visibility and attract people. And also some booths where mass drug uh, was being dispensed in some government officials through government letters. So government offices also had booths so to make it visible, to make it aware. And we also included the shops and some of those uh, floating population like brick cleans and migratory workers. And also reached out to gated community and apartments. In terms of the, the RWA, they have these resident welfare associations. They could be contacted and they, they used to have a booth in those places for those urban elites. These are some of the challenges, but it's still, I would say, a challenge still, not only for MDAs, it's for immunization, it's for polio, I can say, it's for measles, it's for all the programs because our urban health infrastructure is not adequate to reach out to the people and be, it needs a different strategy altogether as compared to the rural population. So, so maybe we can be a little encouraged that we're not alone <laughs> in, in, the, in our MTD programs in urban areas that, that, that other chains sure. have struggled in the same way. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. So someone who would consider this methodology and say, you know, we have an area where we have inadequate, insufficient coverage, where we've been struggling, we think we want to try rapid ethnography to, to get a sense of what's going on in the community. 
What would you say the benefit be for them? It's really different than the normal structured interviews that usual surveys do because they are more flat and time constrained and you don't get a clear answer. Here it's more relaxed, more, you know, we invested a lot of time, as Dr. Bishwal pointed out, training the ethnographers. It's all sociology students, PhD students, and all those from the university who were trained over a week period and on the disease part, on the program part, and always how to do those interviews. And obviously, it's always a much better tool to get the real truth out weekly, of course. So I would recommend rapid ethnography more and more rather than the normal quantitative and qualitative uh, interviews. Ethnography is a much better approach and as compared to the normal routine surveys that we do through a structured yeah. interview where, you know, people don't open up, they're not familiarized well, they are very restrictive and you may not get a straight cut true answer. So giving time and, you know, investing a lot of effort in terms of us uh, traced human-centering approach like ethnography is always better to get the, you know, real informations out there. And I guess on the other side of the coin are what are, what are some of the challenges for someone who might be considering using this methodology? What would you advise them on? Okay. So, uh, you know, getting ethnographer is a challenge itself. You know, the qualified people who are trained on sociology and we used to get those quality people who are aware, a bit conscious about anthropology, sociology, and they, and the kind of, in nobody would like to invest three weeks period. And it, it takes a study to do that. The normal system may not allow such liberty, such funding or such stretched activity over three weeks or four weeks, a month long period. And I would say the challenge is getting the right ethnography, training them, and again, monitoring and supervising them and working as a team over a stressed period. These are the challenges we also observed. We had some dropouts in between and it was hard yeah. to get another ethnographer of that kind. Yeah, I think that's always a, a challenge, isn't it, with qualitative work is getting getting qualified people who can carry it out. So can relate to that comment as well. And and the training is so important to ensure that you've got the right person and that they're trained correctly. Yeah. So the greatest challenge, I just re remember that it was COVID all along. We were, <laughs> we were doing those ethnography during COVID periods, you know, our ethnographers were struck, they were sick. So the next segment that we have in our podcast is called the lightning round. And it's kind of a fun, just part, well, we think it's fun part of the podcast where we just ask questions and ask you for kind of a top of mind, don't think too much kind of response. And so we'll start with the first question and please feel free to keep your answers brief. So what would be your advice to the next generation of NTD program staff, researchers, and advocates? Who would like to take that first? <coughs> let me take Let me take Okay, it. go ahead. Thank you. Well, see, this NTD normally affects the people of the low socioeconomic status. They are the uh, unprivileged living in their own hygienic conditions. So, in order to, if we want to 
take care of the NDD populations, then the next generation should think about the equity. Because through if they will think about the equity for this group of population, then they will attain the highest level of health, whether it is physical, social, policy environment, and that will be a great ultimately it leads to greater health impact outcome. So equity is one of the first thing whenever this next generation entity officers, those who are working for the entity, they should think about the equity for this group of population. Second realization is evidence. So they should work and plan on the basis of the evidence so that they would be able to implement successfully the program and get out of it. And third is the empathy. While working in the NDD, they should understand the emotion of the sufferers, the NDD populations, so that that will lead to greater satisfaction, confidence of the community and the population. Hmm. Yeah, it should be, a, it's a true social service to mankind. Uh, taking care of the marginalized, you know, true underserved population. Right. And, you know, entities taken together will make a big cause rather than in cherry picking in isolation. So taking all together, integrated entities all together will make a big case and it's a great value for mankind. Well, and I think you've presented a, a new way today to collect data, which I think is, I think our listeners certainly will be interested to learn about. So my second question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your work? The biggest lesson we learned through this research is it is very important to involve the community and its leader in planning and implementation. And that will help in building a local support for the entity interventions. And that helps also in better trust and acceptance in the community. So first, with that involvement of the community and community leader. Then second, we learned that to build a relationship, coordination, and convergence among other departments and other health programs. Yeah, I think very well put. Dr. Biswal, you have mentioned intersectoral coordination, community participations, accountability framework. And, you know, one of those biggest lessons is supply side issues are easy as compared to demand side <laughs> challenges. I would say that's one of those bottlenecks and big challenges and one of the lessons learned. Yes, when you get into community, it gets complex, doesn't it? And people, we, we are complex. So it, you're right, the demand side is, is harder. So my final question in the lightning round is, what is one myth you would like to dispel in the NTD community? So for LF, the top of my, of the hat, I, I think people think of the prophylaxis is something which they believe that we are not ill, we are not sick, so we should not take drugs. 
that's one pick meat that's going around directly from the program. Yeah. Uh, yes. And an important one in the community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Dr. Biswal, a myth that you would like to dispel? I would say if uh, one of the biggest myth is NDT, neglected tropical diseases. It was. But to me, I think now it is not neglected because the government has taken interest. Administration policy makers have taken interest. Their policy makers and government has declared the fixed target for elimination, for control. So, and second thing, the community which you are, which you are living in a rural area, the disadvantages grow. Now, at least in India, we have to, there are many schemes of the government for uplifting these populations, whether it is health care, whether it is nutrition, or whether it is preventive care. So, I think that to me, I think this entity now is a misnomer. We should not call it as an entity. Now, that is a uh, higher focus of the policymakers, of the administration, and also in the community, also. Now, they are also aware. So, it will be now easy to control this uh, entity or eliminate entities. So no longer, no longer neglected NTD. <laughs> I think that's what we should not say neglected because now government has given it as a priority. When government sets priority, priority goes to the community. And so that's well, that's great. There's a growing list of countries that are reaching these final stages, and and I think the methods that you all have described today are really important when we think of those end game challenges and those areas where we aren't quite reaching the individuals that we need to reach this is a, a new another method that we could use to to try and understand what's going on in the community so i i like your your vision dr biswal of no longer neglected i think that's a i like that idea so as you know, we, we call this podcast The Last Mile because we're all working together in support of the WHO's NTD 2030 Roadmap Goals. And, and so as we approach this last mile, what's one thing as a community that we should be doing differently to enable us to reach our goals? I think one thing, if I have to say, it's actually a robust health system. Uh, and based on the primary healthcare approach, which actually has the reach and the format and the ability to, you know, deliver the services. It's not only for neglected tropical diseases, it's for all of the diseases also. So that's something we, and an integrated approach of looking at the disease rather than in siloed and single approaches. That that should be the different approach as far as my own understanding goes of the Indian health system, or in fact, all of them. Thank you. That's, it's a really important point. And I think some of the challenges sometimes that we face are related to health systems. And so thinking more carefully how we could be better integrated within the primary health care system is really important. Dr. Biswell, what's one thing we should be doing differently to help us reach our goals? When strengthening the primary health care system, which better the, this community, in the rural area, we should involve them, much I mean the community, we should involve the community and community leader 
in our planning processes so that they understand it better. Yeah, so that that kind of return to more community-directed approaches to encourage communities to be more in the driving seat of how we are doing our activities. I think it's those are really two excellent points. So just before we close, is there any uh, final remarks that you would like to leave our listeners with about rapid ethnography as a method or, or reaching the end game goals? Any final comments? Rapid ethnography is a great piece of tool and we should be using more and more to get the right kind of information to, you know, and get the right data validated through more human-centric responses using this approach and that will definitely give us a lot of directives to, you know, fix some of those issues or problems that we have. And yeah, and entities are not over yet and we have still, they're all out there and we should use all those integrated approaches, primary healthcare systems, and uh, as pointed out, more community-centric approaches. Thank you. Dr. Biswal, any final, any final comments? I think uh, the resource finding, which was mainly due to our ethnographic process, helps us to complete the research very quickly and with a very validated deep data, which will be helpful for the community. And I'm happy that government uh, has accepted it. So I really appreciate your time today. I've, I've learned a lot and, you know, thinking about where we started our conversation and, and both of your origins and how you got into this work and your really, your dedication and commitment to to seeing the, the program delivered in India is really apparent. Congratulations on a really successful study. And thank you so much for taking the time in your evening to talk with me and share a little bit more about what you're doing. So good continuation in the work that you're doing. And thanks so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you and interacting with all of you. Thank you so much. It is really a pleasure. And I would like to thank Lesmer also. Thank you for listening to the Last Mile podcast. If you want to learn more, check out the various resources in our description section. If you would like to learn more about i Community of Practice, please check out our website at www.icords.org and give us a follow on Twitter at icords underscore C-O-P. See you on the next episode.